Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Preparing for this, I wasn't sure which route I was going to go um, because I'm talking about the Lord's Supper and it's so much that you can break down and reveal talking about it because it's such an awesome thing. And so I just want to pray first. Daddy, we just thank you so much. We just are grateful that we can come together, that we can worship in spirit and in truth and in freedom, Lord. And we just ask that as you share um, this word through me, that people would hear your heart, what you have to say about taking the Lord's Supper, and that you would just use me, allow me to say what you want me to say and not say anything that's of myself. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not used to having a lot of pages of notes. I'm used to sticking to one page <laughs> because I like things short and sweet. Well, with this, uh, the Lord was really dealing with me on communion at something um, that I have been really passionate about uh, the last year. Or so I have dedicated myself to taking um, communion every morning before I do anything. And it's just been really life-changing. It has taught me new things of what the Lord's Supper means and what it means for us as the body, what it means to me personally. And so I just wanted us to take some time and just look at the history of the Lord's Supper and some of the things of what helped created the Lord's Supper throughout from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. And uh, then at the end for activation, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to, to experience the Lord's Supper and communion. And um, some things that we know that the Lord's Supper is a representation and a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross for all of us. Um, to really break this down, we need to consider a few things. We have to understand what the blood on the cross represented, what his body being broken represented. And so um, to kind of get an understanding of that, we got to start in the Old Testament. But I kind of have like a, a quick, did you know, if I can get there. Hopefully I can read this, sort of. I'm realizing that my age is catching up to me. <laughs> so if I've ever made fun of you about your age, the Lord is rebuking me as we talk. <laughs> so um, something I was learning about studying that actually um, God actually covered them in skins as a sign of the one true lamb that would cover for all mankind. So if you remember how Adam and Eve, they were created, they started out great, and then they decided to get selfish and wanted to have all this knowledge and information, and um, anyways, we know where that went and went south. They messed it up for all of us, so if you're mad, be mad at them, but um, one of the scriptures I wanted to um, start with it, in Genesis three twenty one, it says, 
The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And we know that Adam and Eve, obviously, they messed up big time. But from the start of creation, God's desire was always to have and be in communion with humanity. Unfortunately, even with perfect union, Adam and Eve, we know, disobeyed the Lord's commands. Because of that, humanity became married to sin through Adam. But God provided covering for our nakedness, our sin. And so we, we see that in Genesis 3.21 that God covered them with skins. And that was a sign of Jesus that was going to come and he would be the true lamb and he would cover for all mankind. Now, historically, there's not a lot of information in the actual Bible when we see where he says what kind of skins, but I believe it was lamb skin. I believe that the Lord did that, that God made the covering for them out of lambskin because it even superseded the loincloths that they had made to cover their own shame. And I think that was a symbolism that there's nothing we can do or obtain to cover our own sins with God, but through Jesus we're covered. And so God's covering was a symbol that through the sacrifices to come and in the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, humanity would be free from its brokenness, sin, and shame. So um, another part in the Old Testament that I think helps us understand the Lord's Supper is in Exodus. And this is one we know as the Passover lamb. And so uh, Exodus 12, 1 through 13, I'm going to read actually all of this. So today you guys are getting tons of scripture, which I know our great leader is happy for because I am very short-winded, regular person. Give me the point and one scripture and call it good. So Exodus 12, 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boil at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And that's also a parallel to where he talks about in Ephesians being covered and guarded um, with um, when you're praying and things like that. 
And it says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when you strike the land of Egypt. And so one of the scriptures I really wanted to kind of focus in on that was verse 7 where it says, Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the door po- on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So as I was researching this, I really felt like the Lord was saying that the blood on the doorpost is a foreshadow to Jesus on the cross between two criminals who represent humanity and that we cannot hold ourselves up. We need a foundation, the only perfect one that could cover and take death on face-to-face. The blood on the two doorposts, though, was not enough. The lentil needed to be covered as well. The lentil was a prelude that Jesus would be our lentil. The lentil is the supporting beam of the house. So if you know anything about building houses, they have certain components that's their foundation, and that if those are not solid and perfect, then the house will not stand. And so we know the lentil is a supporting beam of the house. A beam is what holds everything together and what we rely on to keep our house together. If a beam is broken or bad, the house will not stand. Without our perfect lentil being Jesus to support us, we are nothing and can't be nothing without him. Jesus is and should be our everything because he holds us up. You see, even in the if the posts are imperfect, if the lentil is perfect, then it doesn't matter. Because Jesus is perfect. He's our lentil. Think about ourselves. We know we're all imperfect human beings, hopefully. Hopefully. We all believe that. If you've arrived, please come see me and give me whatever revelation of information you have and help me because I I would love to know what you know that I don't know. And uh, so um, one of those things, knowing obviously as Jesus and the representation of the doorpost and the lentil, uh, I really felt that, you know, Jesus is our perfect lentil, our perfect supporting being. And we also know that uh, Passover was a prophetic picture of God's bigger plan for the world, um, for what was to come through Jesus at Calvary. Another place where we see this glimpse of communion of the Lord's Supper was in Genesis. And uh, this is in Genesis 17 through 20, if you're following along. And if you can read that, I can't, so. Genesis 14, 17 through 20. Then after his return from the defeat of, I am guessing when I say this name, Cater Amor, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. 
Now, he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. Now, if you know anything about Melchizedek and what he represents as the high priest, uh, you know that his name means my king is righteous. And then for uh, the other king, uh, king of Elam, Kader uh, La Amor, his na- the na- translation of Elam actually means tree of life. And then we know king of Salem, which is later to be known as Jerusalem. Salem means peace. And then we know king of Sodom represents depravity. And of course, we know what else went on there. Um, But one thing I thought was interesting was having these particular people together at one place, uh, breaking bread and wine, partaking in what we could call a prelude to the Lord's Supper, that even in the midst of their struggle, their sin, whatever they were declaring and living on, that Jesus is the only one who can give you eternal life that will make you righteous of God in him, and you'll find peace. And so, uh, you know, righteousness and peace can only be found in Jesus. And we know that. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through our for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastising for our well-being or peace fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So I wanted to kind of go back to the Old Testament so we kind of get understanding of what certain things represented as we look forward to the New Testament. And we obviously know Jesus died and rose again in his representation on Calvary and what that meant, and then them following and doing communion. So if we go to Matthew 26, 26 through 28, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. One thing I found awesome about taking communion over the last year is it's helped me draw a deeperness in my relationship with the Lord. It's allowed me to learn different things of what communion can mean for different people. One of the things that I really felt that was a big part of taking communion every morning before I did anything was that it was teaching me about intimacy with the Lord. So many times we'll partake in communion or what we call the Lord's Supper. Depending on where you grew up and where you're from, it's not treated with such a high honor. I know in the particular church that I grew up in, 
communion, the Lord's Supper, depending on who was talking, it was a big deal. Like, we would prepare almost a whole month in advance knowing that we're getting ready to take communion. And when it would come to that day of taking communion, we would literally spend that whole day making sure we've repented, gotten ourselves right, because we were taught that it was really about coming to the Lord and really having um, a pure heart and pure intentions before taking and partaking in Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper, depending on what denomination or what church. Some people call it Holy Communion, Lord's Supper, Communion. Um, but I thought it was interesting uh, as I was learning about communion and listening to other people and trying to get different insights. Um, I realized there's so many different things you can get from trying to take away the Lord's communion and kind of you can end up thinking or focusing on the blood. You can focus on healing from the representation of the body. You can focus on atonement and tie it in. There's just so many different areas that you can really uh, tie in. And so I really was hoping to bring all this kind of together very compact, quick through the first portion um, so we could really focus on this um, second portion, which is communion itself. And so uh, history on bread and wine. Um, when you make bread, you have to make it with flour and stock. You have to work it over. I remember growing up, my grandma, she would always make homemade bread on the weekends. And she would do her thing, get the flour and work it over and I didn't understand the process, and I remember, like, being in the back, and I just hear, like, a beating, a thumping, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, and being a little kid, I didn't know what she was doing, so I'm thinking something happened. I'm thinking because she's grandma, maybe she fell because she's a stubborn person, and she doesn't listen to none of us. So I'm running to the front thinking it's going to be, I told you so, grandma, but then she's looking at me like, what are you doing? Get out of my kitchen. I'm busy. Because that was her thing. You don't interrupt grandma in her kitchen. And if she's in the middle of making something, you leave her alone. Unless if you are dying, don't bother her. And I'm like, well, geez, so I gotta, I have to die, grandma, before you really, like, care about me? Like, not really. My grandma actually did care about me. So just in case of any of my family members hear this, that's not what I'm saying. And um, so, yeah, just making the bread itself takes a process. And just like Jesus, though, he was representation of the bread on Calvary. But even before he got to Calvary, he was beaten on the way. Like they would attack him, throw stones on him, beat him. That's why some uh, individual had to help him finish carrying the cross because he was already whipped and beaten. And so Jesus really was that symbolism of being worked over just like bread when we're making it. Another part is the wine, obviously. We know grapes have to be stepped on, just like Jesus. Um, he was stepped on, and he became wine for us. If you know anything about how they actually make wine, it's, it's pretty awesome. I heard someone share kind of the history behind it and shared, like, when you are in a foreign country like Italy where they really make wine, like, and you go out into the vineyard and you find um, the grapes that you want to pull and use and the process. It's just, it's, 
that's a lengthy process, and I can understand why wine and certain things can get expensive. Uh, but it's pretty cool to understand that just to get the wine or the juice, the process that it goes through to get to that. It's not just an overday thing where you pick a grape off of a vine and it becomes wine. Like it, it's a process it has to get stepped on, crushed. Um, it has to uh, really form, um, has to fermentation, which is also known as leaven. Um, and leaven can be portrayed as evil or full of sin. So if we're thinking about when we're taking communion, we always hear people say you want to take unleavened bread. And it's because they're saying that you want that leaven to be removed from that bread because we're representing and looking to it as a symbolism of sin. Or we can think of it as, as a representation of us as well. So we know that wine must have leaven, which... What I said, it you know we can say it come came from us, and when we when Jesus when he embraced us with his pure blood, to become wine, it washed away all the leaven in us, so it cleansed us. And so when we think of bread and wine together, it's a picture of crushing of what Jesus experienced on the cross, and so that's why when we take Holy Communion, it's a time of thanking the Lord for what he did and really remembering what he went through the sacrifice. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we know it as communion because now um, it allows us to have time coming together in unity with him, and it allows us to experience and remember what he did for us. Um, some key things that we always think about or we should consider when we're taking communion is that one communion is a reminder of his son and what he did for us a lot of times we get caught up in we hear people teach on communion and they say you're taking it for physical healing that's a great portion of it but that's really not even the only portion of taking communion we have to take it to a deeper level and think of it that when we're taking communion it's the Lord calling us to intimacy. So I think of it as we always say we want to sit at the table with Jesus, but then we sit at the table with him, and when he's calling us into intimacy, we get scared, we back off. Or he's calling us into, we say he's calling us to go lay with him in the bedroom, and we don't want to. We're scared. We're scared to cross that level with the Lord because we've gotten comfortable at just being at the table. It's it's just like when a married couple get married. It's it's one experience for them to eat dinner together, but it's another experience when they go to the bedroom. And that's how it is with Jesus. He wants us to be willing to have that intimacy to cross over and to not just stay at the table with him. Another reason why we take communion is, like I said, we can receive and experience physical healing. I remember... If you were here last year and you heard me talk about when I was in the hospital, communion was actually one of the first things I did when I was in the hospital. I think I was in coming into the second week of being in the hospital, and I remember calling up the pastors and leaders, and I said, I feel like the Lord wants me to take communion, but he wants me to take it with other leaders, and I want it, I'm supposed to take it like this following Thursday. 
And so we got together, we took communion, we prayed, and I ended up getting released and going home a few days later. And I believe that that was God really allowing me to experience communion for a physical healing, but it also helped me to experience um, spiritual healing, which is another reason we can take communion. That sometimes there's things that we've gone through, things that we've experienced, hurts, brokenness, uh, doubts, fears about ourselves, about other people. And sometimes when we come to the Lord and we experience communion, he can help us with that. When I started taking communion last year about this time, I didn't think I would have the experiences that I had throughout the time of taking it. And there was a portion of last year where I stopped taking communion because I felt like I was becoming religious and doing it. But really, it was the enemy trying to create a lie to separate me from experience intimacy with him. And so once I got back into doing communion again, I said, okay, Lord, I am definitely not missing this. I am not going to skip a day. And sometimes I take communion more than once a day. I'll take it at lunch. I'll take it before I go to bed, especially now that the Lord has allowed me to be in a place of influence with my job. I take communion a few times a day, especially when I'm dealing with people. I'm having to make big decisions that impact hundreds, if not thousands of people. And so I'll take it. Or if I'm just having, you know, a moment where I just feel like, man, like, I'm not really qualified to be here, Lord. And I start having like a pity party. I'll go and take communion. And it helps me. And so when we're taking it, we always want to remind ourselves the real reason is intimacy. Not because we want to get a physical healing. Not because we want to experience spiritual healing. Those should not be our first priorities for taking communion. Anything that we're doing with the Lord should always be for fellowship and communion first. Because if we're in communion with him, just in general, we know he's going to do anything and everything for us. Because that's who he is and we're his sons and daughters. So if we know who we are as sons and daughters, we have nothing to worry about. Let me see. And then finally, like I said, um, encountering intimacy on another level. It's important. It really is important to experience that because I grew up taking communion, and I didn't always treat it with the intimacy that it should have. And I think because of that, I missed out on some experiences of what I could have gained from it versus trying to feel like, oh, I'm taking communion today and I've been broken this week and I've sinned and all this and now I'm taking it to fix me when it's complete opposite. We don't take it to get fixed, but we're taking it to experience the one who can fix us. I wanted to cut this sermon super short um, because I wanted us to spend about 15 to 20, maybe 30 minutes with the Lord, just hearing from him. I think sometimes it can be easy to come to church and hear a word and get activated at the end, and sometimes we just don't allow ourselves enough time to experience the Lord one-on-one. Thank you for listening today. 
Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.